JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com joins us. We got a lot to get to because you were talking to me in the press box yesterday about an interesting phone call you got while you're playing golf on Saturday. I'll get to that coming up in just a minute. But regarding what was stated, there was not a great deal of clarity, especially in terms of a timetable given by Shane Steichen earlier today. What what's your guess here? Are we talking a month? Do you think my timeline is is one in which may ultimately happen after that bye week after Germany? Well, so I'll start by saying I'm not going to guess because it's just it's just fruitless, right? Because we don't know enough. I think there has been a lot thrown around. I, they Now I will tell you they initially thought that the grade three spring was what they were dealing with, but it was also made clear to me that there there are a lot of things uh, that have to be confirmed by MRI. And, and then they not only do the MRI, but they have, as we reported earlier today at ESPN, they're going to have other physicians review those results too before they establish a timeline. You know, So these things are, are delicate. It's not, it's not even so much diagnosing the injury. It's, it's also diagnosing what the timetable is. Uh, just because there there are lots of variables, including, you know, the type of player and the position and all of these things. So, you know, and, and things that I'm sure I can't speak to as, as a layperson. But anyhow, uh, there's a lot there's a lot that has to be played out still. So I, I would say though, look, they're preparing for in the miss Sunday. I think most likely beyond that, I think all appearances are there. They're bracing themselves for multi week absence here at minimum, and then we'll go from there. The only thing I can add, okay, this is just a, a bonus for you. Look, I mean, something I was told today is that the Colts thought this might happen, okay? I mean, I don't think any of us are shocked because we know how he plays, and we knew that when they drafted him. But they, number one, draft, or excuse me, signing Gardner Minshew was really a product of of knowing the type of player that Anthony Richardson was. He was already their target when they signed Gardner Minshew, remember? And then, so that's the first thing. Number two, they have looked at other examples around the league at at some of these dual threat quarterbacks. And there is kind of this acclimation period for those guys where they have to learn and start to respect the speed of the game at the NFL level. I mean, I don't think... Anthony Richardson's used to having a guy Harold Landry's size run him down from behind 
But that's the NFL. That is the NFL. This is not the SEC, as great as the SEC might be. So I just think he has to be, play with a, a different level of awareness um, that the hits are coming. And you have to assume they're coming and not necessarily brace yourself at the last minute because by then they're on you. So anyway, I, that's a mouthful, but but that's sort of – you know, some of the stuff that's that's happening and the conversations happening behind the scenes. I've tried to explain to everybody that have talked about it. I, I don't know what can be done other than, you know, what you, you mentioned just now and the fact that it's going to be the same playbook. They're going to rely on him running the football because that's one of the big reasons why they loved him, why a lot of other teams loved him. And that's not going to go away and he's just going to have to find a way to maintain health but i will say this i do understand those that have gone through the luck saga and right now kind of look at this as a red flag oh no because they've gone through too much around here not to have a shred of doubt in their mind regarding the path in which they are taking and i just tried to remind them that you got two things working here one he's 21 and you would expect him to learn certain he's he's got that that ability and that want to to learn and be better and the other thing is you have within their division and their schedule a competitive team that can move forward with what they have right now so that's the good part of a bad situation yeah i mean i think i agree with that uh you know look we can Actually, Andrew Luck is an interesting pivot here because <laughs> an interesting aside, because if you go back to uh, particularly the early part of his career, rookie year for sure, first couple of years, that man was reckless. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely reckless. And I think a lot of the, th- the same things we're seeing with Anthony, I think those are conversations we were having then, frankly. So it's not that different. Now, Andrew just wasn't viewed as a runner. So, and then he also had the the double whammy of of having uh, Bruce Arians as his, his offensive coordinator with seven step drops, and he's getting pounded in the pocket. So, on top of him getting out of the pocket and getting hit, he was getting hit in the pocket. So, anyway, you know, you go back to to Andrew Luck getting uh, the kidney laceration, which I think was in 2016, if I recall. Uh, that was a situation where he got out of the pocket and he was trying to run for a first down and he gets sandwiched between two Chicago bears linebackers. So a lot of hard lessons have been learned here at quarterback. I guess is what I'm saying. And, and I don't even know that Anthony could have prevented Sunday's injury. I don't know that, but I, I just think he, he has to play with a certain awareness. And, and this is what they're saying internally, because I, I do think there's a lot of conversation, as you mentioned just now, about, well, they've got, you know, do they need to coach him differently and all that? No, that's – I think they may pull back a little. Okay, I do, because I think he can work from the pocket and be very effective. He's a good passer. But the real sort of icing on the cake with this guy – is his dual threat nature. If you take that away, he is not the same player. You don't have the same threat. And then you therefore don't call the game in the same way. So I agree with you. They're not going to have some kind of wholesale change to the offense. They may pull back a little, but, but he is who he is. And his skill set is the reason he is here full stop. Stephen Older of ESPN.com is via the Andy Moore 
Automotive Group Hotline. So uh, the good part about this is certainly not regarding his injury, but the fact they went on and snapped a seven-game home losing streak, five games against the Titans, and really beat the Titans at their, their own game. Out tough the Titans, which has not been prevalent in a while in that matchup with Mike Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans, as we've seen in, in recent history here. That's that's the good part of it is. And, and one thing I'd ask, Gardner Minshew's in. And it seems to me, and maybe it's just me watching, that there is a little bit more width, a little bit more of a window in receiver separation when he is out there than when Richardson is out there for especially these receivers. Is that something I'm making up that maybe I haven't seen that I think I have? Or is that something you have seen as well? Is that because of ball placement when the ball is going to be there? You know, a little bit of the not-so-subtle change in in the playbook calls here. Have you noticed that at all? I'd have to take a a closer look at the film. I I think what you might be seeing is, number one, Garner Minshew definitely throws with timing. That is his thing because, look, he doesn't have the same arm strength as Anthony Richardson. And Anthony Richardson can be late on the throw and still get it there. Gardner Minshew is not going to pretend to be something he's not. He's He knows. So his whole game is I got to throw on time and with anticipation so that the ball is where it's supposed to be when it's supposed to be there. So they're they're very, very different players, and the way they conduct themselves as passers is very different. So I think that's part of what you're seeing. Anthony tends to, maybe because he's young as well, this is part of it, but Anthony, I think, much more so relies on his arm. Garner Minshew is not. Garner Minshew is relying on his, his head and getting the ball out. So I, you know, I think uh, as Shane Steichen phrased it, he said Gardner is an elite processor. I would agree with that. I think he sees it, he knows it, he anticipates it, all those things. I mean, that's why he's able to to have success and, and throw for a high percentage, even though, look, I mean, he's maybe not the most physically gifted guy. Okay, I don't think he would be upset at me saying that. I think that's just pretty clear. So, anyway, uh, that is just kind of, I, I think, that how they're very, very different. And so that might be what you are seeing. You're just seeing the offense – looks different with him because he operates differently. Yeah, how much of that playbook do they take away? I'm assuming most, obviously, of of the running well, plays and the running capabilities, but how much does the playbook shrink whenever Gardner Minshew is the starter or he's in the game? Well, first off, I, I have to say I was watching the game yesterday and I laughed, and I, I said this in the Baltimore game too. I love Gardner Minshew because when they have something, when they have any kind of play action or – you know, quote unquote, read option situation where he's got to hand the ball off, but maybe carry out the fake. Let me tell you, watch him closely. He is carrying out the fake like a mother. Okay. And, it, and I, I laugh every time because I'm like, dude, no one thinks you're running the ball. Okay. <laughs> like literally no one thinks that, but I, I admire the commitment. He is constantly playing out the fake, and I love it. So uh, you have to admire it. So anyway, I, I just just a little aside for you as a, as a listener. I'm telling you, watch this next Sunday when he plays. You will see it, and you will laugh. So, yeah, it's going to change. I mean, a lot of those plays where they truly are reading and, and making a, a decision at the pivot point, as to whether to to hand off or or throw that ball or keep it, a lot of those decisions, uh, I think, are now 
you know, there's an element of those decisions that's taken away. Uh, the quarterback run is, is not going to be a part of those decisions almost almost 100% of the time. I mean, there may be some exceptions, but I think we know that. So so that's that's just what it is. Um, I don't think it's a, it's not a wholesale change. I just think you're going to emphasize other parts of the playbook. And ultimately, every team, even those with a dual threat quarterback, every team has – uh, pretty standard stuff in their playbook. You know, I think we we sometimes have this this incorrect approach of how we you know how they think about offense as a as an NFL team. And frankly, I mean, they have all the standard stuff in there. They just have certain plays that that may be unique to to their quarterback that are also in there that they, that may get emphasized. But but generally, they're going the offense is the offense, and, and they're going to run what they run. So. It doesn't have to change. I mean, is there, if you're a receiver, you still got to run the same routes. Uh, you just may build it a little differently, run run a different set of plays that, that maybe we don't see as much with Anthony Richardson. And, and I think it just it takes away maybe some outside-the-box things that you can do with Richardson. But, look, they have shown themselves to be very efficient with, An, with, excuse me, with uh, Gardner Minshew and – I, I agree. I don't see there's any reason why why there needs to be any kind of um, any kind of concern about how this might go moving forward. I, I think they have a very good chance uh, to be competitive in every game he starts. Stephen Holder's with us, and in closing, regarding Anthony Richardson here, uh, do you have any concerns about his his long term future and being able to withstand how he plays and the NFL and taking hits on a game in game out basis. I, I think if he if he figures it out, no. But he he can't do this forever. I mean that's true. Um, in that case, yeah, I, I would I would have some concerns. Sure, and, you know I, I look at for example, look at Josh Allen, and he really hasn't learned very much. I would say still plays pretty reckless. Now he has avoided a major injury in his career. He did have, I think a, uh, maybe a hand injury as a rookie and he missed several weeks. But other than that, he hasn't, I don't believe had a, a major injury. So, so he's been fortunate, you know, maybe he's more durable. I don't know. Maybe he's just been lucky. I, I don't know, but and there's also an element of Anthony being a little unlucky. Not all of this is just a product of him being reckless or, or just you know too aggressive. I don't want to overstate that. I mean, you got to be unlucky too, right? But anyhow, I, I do think he has to he has to amend his his style a little bit. And I don't mean run less. I just mean just keep your head on a swivel and just be smart and and try to minimize the hits. You cannot eliminate them. You cannot. But you have to minimize them. If he if he gets that, if he figures that out, I think he can weather this and he can have a long career. But but, but something's going to have to change. That's clear. I'm assuming that um, Stephen, you're in the Malki Kawa receipts video too somewhere. You know, I just looked at it. It's funny you mentioned it because I just saw it. I've got like four or five listeners from this show that are in there. 
<laughs> I, I think I managed to not get in there, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Maybe I did a good job. I don't know. Um, listen, my whole goal in life is to never give people receipts if possible. <laughs> listen, I have done it many times. Okay, let me just be clear. But uh, but the goal is to never be. Uh, never be on the wrong end of the receipts. <laughs> I'm looking right now. I see people that tagged me on this show. I don't see one for me, though. McAfee's yeah, in there pretty heavily. I'm, oh, yeah, there you are. There you are. Hold on. Oh, me? Yes, you're in there. You ready? Oh, I got to look at it again. Uh, yeah. That was kind of half Jonathan Taylor is extremely intelligent and is his own man. This perspective ignores a basic reality. Jonathan Taylor is considered lots of agents and purposefully chose his current representation. Uh, so I remember that tweet. Yeah. So I'll tell you about that. That was, that was actually, I, I think that point stands, in fact, you know, because I think there was this, there was this, uh, assumption that that Malkikawa turns Jonathan Taylor into this villain when the reality is if he wasn't down for being uh, so for if he wasn't down for for taking this to that level you don't hire Malkikawa you know what I mean so it's like the chicken and the egg and I what I was saying and I still say is that it, I don't know which is which is the chicken and which is the egg here but <laughs> But the point is that it, this wasn't Jonathan Taylor, you know, just um, sort of uh, obliviously walking into Malki Kawa's office and saying, you know, hey, I need an agent. You know, are you available? No. I mean, this was very st- strategic on Jonathan Taylor's part. And his thought process, and this is just me kind of paraphrasing what I know, but his thought process is, okay, I can hire the agent's who didn't get what they wanted with those other running backs, or I can hire someone who's going to just maybe go rogue perhaps and, and do it a different way. And it turns out he, he ended up getting what he wanted. So it'd be hard to, to convince Jonathan Taylor. It was a bad decision. So, all right, by the way, Shane Palmer tagged me on this. I'm a friend to 28 and will root for his success. With that said, his agent, Malki Kawa, is a bona fide moron and has screwed JT and the Colts and the fans. That's what he put in, so, put in there for me right there. Here's my thought. Here's yeah. my thought, right? Like, I don't, I don't have to – I don't have a dog in this fight. Sure. I, I look at everybody – I know, you know, people kind of got on my case about this because they said I was I – was, too deep in this for, you know, for JT and all that. Look, I, I think what the, what they were really saying is I was presenting both sides of the story and they don't like it. Well, that's your problem. <laughs> okay. You don't, you don't want to hear both sides. Well, then go find another reporter to follow. Cause damn it. That's what I do. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, so here's my thing. What I would say is our job. Okay. If we cover, if we cover the white house, if we cover the Indianapolis Colts, whatever it is, a job is we got to get both sides of the, op- of the, of the issue. And so I did that. And I think ultimately, and I've talked to Malky Carlo lots of times. And I think if you, if you ask him, it all boils down to this and you can, you can hate his methods. You can, you can hate him personally, all that. He I don't think he cares, but his job, as he told me, he's got one job. What is his job? His job is to get his guy paid period. Period. You know, whatever it takes. And so, I, you know, I, I respect that part of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, that doesn't mean 
you have to like how he went about it. I get that. Like, people are totally justified to feel that way. I, all I'm saying is, in his mind, I got one job. It's to get this guy's money. I did my job. End of story. Did did the Colts bend? Um, I actually wouldn't say they like quote unquote lost or anything like that. I, I don't think so. I mean, if you think about it, look, there are, there's a bigger picture here. Okay. And part of it is you kind of created a, a term, a tumultuous situation. Nothing they created it, but just that's what it was, regardless of whose fault. It doesn't matter whose fault, but it was a, it was a nasty situation. Uh, there were a lot of people in the organization, particularly teammates who kind of felt like, why don't you just pay the guy? You know, and that sentiment was out there. Now they're not going to say that on the record, but that's out there. That was out there. And, and there are even people now in the organization whose thought process is like, why couldn't we just do this six months ago, man? You know what I mean? Because I'm telling you, I, I know people think that they were, I don't know where this idea came from that Jonathan Taylor was asking for, you know, a gazillion dollars. It really wasn't a negotiation. It wasn't, there was no contract demand that I've ever heard of because there wasn't really a negotiation. They tried to make it a conversation and the Colts said that that was not something they were interested in doing right now. I mean, it's basically the long and short of it. I I don't really know. I don't really know where all. Why why was the timing so good on, on Saturday? And again, I want you to mention Stephen Holder joins us, your conversation with Jim Ursay when he called you on, on Saturday. And I think he mentioned to you that it was earlier than what he would have liked. Why was, was Saturday, for example, why was this weekend the best time to get something like this done? Why, why did it happen Saturday? Well, first off, uh, I think the biggest reason is they wanted to get Jonathan Taylor going. And the, the, the best way to do that without any further quibbles and, and disagreement was to get this deal done. And I think once they decided, once they taught, once they started talking about the deal at that point, once you've gone down that road, I mean, if you're Jonathan Taylor, you, you want that deal before you're back on the field. You know, he, he was asked that yesterday, and he, he didn't give a definitive answer on whether he would or would not have played if there was no deal. But let, rest assured, my man wanted a deal before he got back on the field, okay? And, and what, would, what would have happened? I have no idea. I don't know. But, like, that is not very hard to tell. But that was the case. You know, he wanted a deal before he got back on the field. That's a fact, 100%. And so I, I wouldn't say it was a demand. I just think they had decided they were going to do it. And so just get it done and let's get him out there. So who caved the, the most? I, I, who, who do you think caved the most in this, Stephen? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I would say I hesitate to, to characterize that. And here's why. Because it did take – it, it, it took some um, maturity from both sides for this to happen. Uh, look, a month ago, this is where we were. A month ago, after the the trade conversations ended and Chris Ballard said, all right, this is the deadline, we're done. Remember that? They put him on the pup, and at that point, things were so poor. You had Chris Ballard. By the way, I saw all your tweets out there, those people saying that the media was overhyping this. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. Let me just tell you. You have no idea what the hell you're talking about. There was absolute turmoil. 
Jonathan Taylor was showing up for rehab in the morning and things were so poor at, between him and the team, they were telling him, all right, do your rehab and get the hell out of here. Go home. That's where they were a month ago. Okay? We were not exaggerating. So, anyway, it takes a lot of maturity on both sides to go from there to, to now having a, a deal done and, and everybody being smiles. You know, as to who caved more and all that, I, I think, again, you have to be in the room to know that. But certainly the Colts didn't want to do this deal now. Jim Irsay, I'm looking at the quote right here in front of me. He says, it's sooner than I think it should have happened. Okay? So, for everyone who said – Oh, they, they said they, you know, they wanted to pay him. It was just, you know, they wanted to do it on their, on their timeline. They never said not this year. He's still saying it happened sooner than he wanted it to happen. <laughs> so, literally, on the record, Jim Mercer said that. So, that is, that is not in dispute. So, they, they definitely caved in that respect in terms of the timing of this deal. But ultimately, for the, for the Colts, I mean, you're getting him. I mean, if he gets to the open market next year, and I know they could franchise him, but, but that would have been a very, very ugly situation to franchise Jonathan Taylor. So that's, that's the other thing I think about is if you don't do this now, the alternative is he ain't going to make it easy on you in the spring, okay? If you, and then if you do franchise him, Jonathan Taylor is going to make their lives miserable. And we go through this all over again, all offseason next year. I, I just think the prospect of that – no one looks forward to that. You know, no one wanted that. So if you really do want the player, this was one way to make it happen and, and everyone can go on with their lives. So I don't know. I think the result is great. How we got here, you know, we can, we can debate, but, but ultimately the result kind of was a win-win. So Stephen Holder with us. What I mentioned to Malky Kawa, the agent for Jonathan Taylor, put out a video last hour that has a lot of the receipts of those that were very critical of the way that he handled this situation throughout and representing Jonathan Taylor. And um, he basically is taking a victory lap because he got that three-year, $42 million deal done right there. So you can check it out. And maybe somebody, I know Bob Borden, I know him. He listens to the show. He's also among those receipts right there. So kind of an interesting collection if you got a minute or two to, to check that out. In closing on Jonathan Taylor, with what we've seen from Zach Moss has been incredible so far, what is going to be the carries dynamic between the two moving forward? I know that you still want to work slowly, I'm sure, getting back into shape, football shape, Jonathan Taylor. How's that dynamic to you going to work once things do begin to take shape? You know, I don't think they're going to force Jonathan for, force the issue with Jonathan Taylor. They don't have to. And Zach Moss has has ensured that they don't have to. And you know, I think ultimately they'll just let this thing play out. There's no reason to you know to force things. You know, Shane Steichen he could he could care less. He he couldn't care less that that Jonathan Taylor got this new contract. That doesn't matter to him. You know his his job is to win, and so un, unless and until Jonathan Taylor is the better option uh, to to carry the ball more heavily, I think they'll they'll have a lot of balance in this this arrangement they have here. There's nothing wrong with it too. I, I think they're very different runners. Uh, Zach Moss had the big run yesterday, certainly, but but really where his value is is he's a he's a tough between the tackles runner. You know I think Jonathan Taylor is a guy who's explosive and 
you saw a little bit of shades of old Jonathan, I thought, on that, that swing pass. They, they ran sort of a, a screen with him yesterday, and he told me after the game, he said, you know, I thought I saw some daylight, but I, I think he kind of lost the angle there. But you saw him kind of leap a defender, and you're like, ah, okay, I saw the juice that he used to have, you know. So I think he'll get it back. He's practiced twice, but he looks, I think, under the circumstances, looks pretty good. And I think you'll see. I think you'll see the, the vintage Jonathan Taylor before long. But until then, and until it's it's obvious, give Zach Moss the ball, and then Jonathan spells him, and then they, they maybe get a little more even in their usage, and then we'll see what happens from there. All right, really quick here with Stephen Holder to close. Certainly locally with Colts fans, Zaire Franklin has made a significant footprint. Is yeah. now he beginning to do that on a national level? From what you're hearing, I mean, I love it. I, I, I'm seeing some a lot of recognition of what he's doing. And I, I love it. You know, I, I talked to Zaire a lot and I remember he, he will not, he will tell you very honestly uh, that he was so frustrated with Matt Eberflus. And I thought Matt Eberflus was a fine defensive coordinator, but for whatever reason, he didn't see Zaire as a good fit for his system and he never played him. And Zaire was just incredibly frustrated with that. And in the minute Matt Eberflus left, and he's got his own problems now up in Chicago. But, I mean, anyway, the, the minute he left, Zaire Franklin became a factor for this team and got that opportunity that he'd been waiting for. So, you know, he feels like he could have done this a long time ago. He just didn't have the opportunity. So it's been a long time coming, and, and he works. And this is a guy who, who made his bones on special teams. And he said, fine, if I can't play, I'll go out there and I'll play every damn special team snap if I can, if I have to. And he did that, and he dedicated to dedicated himself to it, and became a special teams captain. And you know, he leaned in hard to everything he was asked to do. And he's a great example for every late round pick out there who thinks, you know, no one knows I exist. You know, Zaire Franklin is should be a role model for all those guys, and I love it for him. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com on getting a Saturday call while playing golf from Jim Irsay and the latest regarding the Colts. <laughs> it's all good, man. It is all good. Great seeing you yesterday, too. As always, I appreciate you on Mondays at 5. All right, brother. I'll see you soon. Stephen Holder.